super cool, just the things they're putting together. So they're going to have a Sunday school meeting. When was that? And uh, it's great for you just to come and check it out and see what it's about. I absolutely love our Sunday school program and the people, the teachers and everybody that puts time and effort into it is so much work. It's awesome. Um, also, Erica had the twins. So, <laughs> yay. So Leela and Benjamin were born just before uh, Thanksgiving, and she just wanted to say thank you to everyone who'd been praying for her, and uh, the delivery went well. Um, it's awesome. So she's doing good. I said, well, you can just tell them when you come to church today, and I guess she's not here, so. <laughs> All right. Mark chapter 13 is where we are, and this is a heavy chapter, uh, heavy topic and a lot to it. This is one of those where I was like, I should really divide this in two. I should take this in smaller chunks, but I'm not. So there's a whole lot that's kind of uh, compacted in here. Uh, my tendency is, is that I start talking really fast. I'm going to try not to do that today. Um, because not only is there great and important information for us in here, I think there's great application for us too. Uh, on the topic of prophecy and future events and the things that Jesus lays down, of this is where all of mankind is heading, right? I think there's a lot of times that gets presented in a very scary, terrifying way, and there are scary, terrifying things about it. Uh, but for us as believers, it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to prepare us for what's ahead. And, and so I want to approach it like that. Um, if you take notes, today's a good day, just because I'm going to be throwing out a lot of different verses. Uh, if you don't get them, just talk to me afterwards, and you want to look these things up and compare them for yourself. And uh, um, again, I'll try and slow down and not go over things too quickly. But if you remember, Jesus has been in the temple teaching and dealing with the religious leaders, the different groups of religious leaders have kind of come at him one at a time, trying to trip him up. And he's just dismantled their arguments and their stuff one at a time. Um, and, and now he's leaving the temple with the disciples. Uh, it's also good, again, if you're taking notes, that the parallel passages to this section of Scripture, uh, we always get such a good, rounded picture when we look at the other Gospels, right? So when it's the same event recorded, recorded multiple times, uh, it's good to, to know where those parallel passages are. So... Mark 13 that we're looking at today is lined up with Matthew chapter 24, which we actually looked at not too long ago as we went through Matthew, and also Luke chapter 21. And this is where Jesus uh, begins to really tell of future events. Now, the disciples ask him a question, and we'll look at that, but they understand that they're not thinking of future events. They think that their question applies to things that are going to be happening very quickly, uh, but Jesus is going to go beyond their question and answer the things that are way out in the future. Another good scripture to know is Isaiah chapter 46, starting in verse 9, where God tells really all of mankind, this is how I set myself apart, that I know the end from the beginning. And I'm the only one who does. And, and he really puts it out there in Isaiah to say, compare me to every other God, every other person, every other prophet. They know nothing, and I know everything, is, is really how he puts it down. That 
This is what separates God from any other religion, any other prophet, teacher, is he never, ever misses. And when he lays out future events, they always come to pass exactly the way he has laid them down. Um, And for us, again, as I said, as believers, it's important that we don't approach prophecy, uh, futuristic prophecy, things of future events, with a sense of dread or fear or paranoia. Because sometimes it comes across almost as fear-mongering within the church of, well, don't you know the Antichrist is on the rise? And what about the one world government and the mark of the beast? Well, these are all things, but they're not to sh- they should not strike terror in the heart of the believer. These are not things that we need to be paranoid or freaked out about. The reason that these things are told to us is that we would be watchful of our master's return to give us the direction and the information about the seasons and the times that we live in. And I believe that we live in. (laughs) We are in them right now. And and for us to, to read this again, not to be fearful, but to understand, Lord, your return is near. And I want to live a life looking for your return, right? So Mark 13, Jesus is going to speak of these uh, things, and some of them have already come about. They didn't, of course, hadn't happened at the time he spoke them, happened soon after that, and it was absolutely accurate. And so everything he's speaking about that has not taken place, we can see and believe that it will also happen with absolute accuracy. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. God, again, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. We want to understand it as much as we can. Holy Spirit, we just give you ourselves that you would teach us today, that you'd take your word, you'd apply it to our hearts, and that we would live a life changed by you. Give us wisdom in how to live in this day and age today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Then, As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, and began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars, rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all of the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. 
But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. And children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now again, the disciples, uh, you know, they've just seen Jesus give this great teaching and deal with the religious leaders. So from their perspective, things are going great. They had this amazing triumphant entry, Jesus coming into the temple or into the Jerusalem and everybody shouting and praising. So to them, they're like, man, things are going really well. But Jesus has been letting them know that things are not going well, that that things are, are about to get terribly worse, right? And so as they're leaving the temple, one of the disciples says, Jesus, look at this temple, man. Look at how beautiful this thing is. And, and the, the temple in that day uh, was beautiful. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was solid white marble. And the roof of that building and the built, small buildings around it were covered in solid gold. There are historical records of people that came upon Jerusalem on a travel for their first time. And they said that the temple seemed to glow. It was in the sunlight because it was so beautiful, right? And Jesus says, you see all this? Not one stone will be left on another. Now, that's, that's a big deal. Some of these stones were in the foundation that they uncovered were six feet tall, six feet wide, and 20 feet long. Massive stones. And so when Jesus goes, these will all be taken down, not one left on another here. Their question would have been, what would motivate somebody, not just to destroy the temple, but to knock down every single stone? It it seemed impossible, I'm sure, to the disciples and to anyone else that would have heard it. Um, But sure enough, in 70 AD, the Romans would surround Jerusalem tired of all the rebellion and and fighting and everything, and they would destroy the entire city. And the last thing standing was the temple, and the last big battle took place in the temple, and a fire got started. There's a lot of question about who started it, it doesn't really matter, but this fire started in the temple, spread to the other buildings, melted every single bit of gold that was on the roof, that then ran down into the walls. And the Romans, motivated by gold, removed every single stone, one from another, to go after the gold. Again, amazing. An absolute fulfillment of what Jesus says perfectly. And the reason that's important is because that sets the tone for everything he's going to say after this. That if he says this very clearly, specifically, was going to happen, and it did, just like that, then everything after that will continue. We can be sure that all of these things that he's going to speak of are going to be fulfilled the same way. Um, Now, the disciples asked the question, tell us when these things will be in verse 4, and what will be the sign of all of these things to be fulfilled? So again, their question, they're thinking short term. Uh, Matthew, the way that he records it, is a little bit clear that what they're asking is, is when are you going to come into power and change everything? It's kind of the idea. And so they're thinking within their lifetime, when is Jesus going to accomplish all this? And Jesus goes way beyond that to really speak of the entire age of all mankind. All the way to the very end of this age that we live in now. Um, And that's 
summed up in the book of Revelation, the last seven years of this age. It's called the Great Tribulation, right? So Jesus is going to speak on that, but he's also going to speak on the things that lead up to it. So the seasons before the Great Tribulation, um, and then the Tribulation itself. Again, uh, one of the tricky things, in whether you're looking here at Mark 13 or Matthew 24 or Luke 21, is that Jesus describes the seasons leading up to the tribulation and the tribulation itself, he describes them four different times. The reason that's important is because if you just read through this description and you think it's a linear type uh, description that he's starting with the beginning of things and he ends with the end of things, um, it gets very confusing because some things overlap. There's, there's some things that even seem a little contrary. Um, and events don't seem to happen in the same order that we see in the book of Revelation. And so, but when we understand that it's the same event or the same time described four different ways with a little different focus each time, then it starts to make more sense. Um, again, another important scripture to know is Revelation chapter 6. Because Jesus is going to describe the same events we see in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, here and in those other parallel passages as well. So breaking down uh, Mark 13, and again, I'm, I'm going to try and not go too fast so you can get these down, but verses 5 through 13, Jesus, this is the first description of the end times or the lead up to the tribulation. He describes a season really of man's behavior, false teachers, false prophets, those kinds of things, verses 5 through 13. Then verses 14 through 23, he sp describes specifically an event for the nation of Israel that will take place halfway through the tribulation. The correlating verse of that, again, verses 14 through 23, the events for Israel, uh, is Revelation chapters 12 and 13. And then, in just a few verses, the third description that he focuses on is verses 24 through 27, which is Jesus' return for the church, the rapture of the church. In Revelation, it's called the great sign in heaven. And this is where he, that event where all believers are whisked away in the twinkling of an eye. And then last of all, verses 28 through 37 is just speaking of the seasons and the timing of some of these things. What it will look like. What it's going to be like. The wars and the rumors of wars. So, again, where we're at right now, verses 5 through 13. Uh, false teachers, false messiahs, wars, rumors of wars. Um, and these are the things that we read about. We're like, oh, man, that's pretty terrifying stuff, right? All these deceivers coming around, claiming to be somebody important, claiming to be the Christ, claiming to be the Messiah. Wars, kingdom rising against kingdom. And no doubt, these, these are terrifying things. And they're things that, to some degree, with all of these things that Jesus mentions, they've happened throughout time but they're going to increase more and more. But even after speaking of those things, in verse 7, Jesus says, Do not be troubled. 
It's kind of a, a kind of a weird contrast, right? He's like somebody gives you like terrible news about something. He goes, "Hey, but don't worry about it." I'm like, what? You know, yeah. the worst time of all humanity is just around the corner. But don't sweat that. You know, it's like ah, that doesn't seem to make sense, right? Because if we're looking at things from a worldly perspective, it's terrifying. You know, the things that our our, our world is built on are all going to be falling apart. But if we understand that we are citizens of heaven, it can't be shaken. We serve a king that cannot be dethroned, that he will always be in charge. He knows exactly what's going on. And he says that such things must happen. That's another part we don't understand. We read about the events in Revelation like, this sounds horrible. Why would God allow these things to take place? They must happen. They they have to happen in order to give mankind its final shake that anyone who will believe can believe. And Jesus describes these things, and all of it, really, earthquakes and, and disease and famine and war and all this stuff. Again, they've always been. It's not like these are new things that have never existed. But the way he describes it in verse 8, he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, literally, that means labor pains. So in other words, yeah, they've happened. They've had earth, we've had earthquakes. We've had wars. We've had famines. But the closer we get to the end, it's like labor pains. They're going to grow with greater frequency and intensity the closer we get to the end. And I think it's interesting, you know, things that, again, we look at today and we go, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, back then, they're like, how could that even be possible? How could uh, false Christs and false messiahs and false teachers come on the scene and deceive so many? We call it the Internet, Right? They're all over the place. And, and, and we got to understand that it isn't like people showing up on the Internet going, hey, I'm Jesus. Because even non-believers will go, no, you're not. <laughs> it's people going up saying, you know what? The answers you look, you're looking for, I have them. Those guys are a dime a dozen. The meaning to life that you've always wondered about, I know what it is. You need to come to my seminar. You need to give me money. You need to follow me. You need to do this. Like and subscribe for more, right? That's normal life, and that's everywhere. That's what the messiahs and the false Christ look like today. Influencers. Negative, bad influencers. Not every influencer is, is bad. But, again, we, we're kind of looking for that false Christ to be the person going, Oh, hey, I'm Jesus. That's not what they do. They just say, you need to follow me. And people do follow them. Right? And we're seeing more and more of that. Greater frequency, greater intensity, even earthquakes. Uh, You can go onto the USGS site and look at the amount of earthquakes recorded over the last 50 years. Say 50 years. And you see this arc growing. And even years where they kind of dip down, what you find is greater intensity of the earthquakes that took place. More and more. Um, But keep in mind, as Jesus is describing this in this section, he's describing the calm before the storm. Or really, it'd be like the storm before the hurricane. This is not the tribulation he's referring to. This is what the world looks like before the tribulation starts. This is normal day life. And again, a lot of these things we can look at and go, man, that sounds like the news today. It sounds like the internet today. It sounds like what's happening all over the world 
nation against nation, one war after the next. And Jesus says these things must be. And again, part of the times and the seasons that we are to be aware of. In verse 10, he says, And this gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now, in some ways, that's good because it gives us the motivation to go, hey, you know what? We should be those reaching out, bringing the gospel everywhere we can, in our community, but also around the world. But I've, also, I've talked to people, in fact, I talked with missionaries once, and they said, oh, well, we know that the Lord can't return this year because there are people groups that have not been reached. That's not what this is saying. <laughs> the, the gospel has gone out to the world. Now, and it, it, even if it did mean that every single person, every single nation, every single tribe had to hear the gospel, we know that in Revelation, angels are preaching the gospel worldwide, and every tribe, nation, and tongue hears it. So it will be preached before the end, just as, as Jesus says here. There isn't anything to say Jesus can't return today. In fact, there's some very strict warnings about having that idea at all. The gospel will go out for sure. But we also, while it's going out, there is this persecution that becomes greater and greater as well. Again, persecution is not new. The early church saw these things. The early church were being arrested. They were being beaten in synagogues, and those things are described here. So for them, they're like, wow, this is exactly what Jesus talked about. But then there are other times there's been very little persecution. There have been places in the world where there's been intense persecution. But what Jesus is describing here is a persecution worldwide to all believers that will begin to take place. And he says, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, not an if, a when. I think for us, we look at this and go, well, that, that will be a terrible time, but we're not in that right now. We don't face heavy persecution, certainly in the United States. But I think there's still some great things for us to know here. I think there's some really good instruction, because while we're not under this heavy persecution and people being murdered in the streets for their faith, uh, we do face persecution of a different kind, much more subtle, people that want to argue, people that want to try and dismantle Christianity or talk down about Jesus or those kinds of things. Uh, and I think it's the same instruction for us. Now, first of all, it is important that we study to show ourselves approved, right? It's like 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us, we're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, right? 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us. But what Jesus says here, I think just puts... I know my heart at ease when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to entering into those conflicts that people are like, yeah, well, let's talk about the Bible. And like, you just want to argue. You don't really want to talk about it. Because he says this, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So yeah, we study to show ourselves approved. We want to be people of the word. We want to be in it, understanding it. We want to be those ready to give an answer, which includes an argument, to be able to say, let me tell you what Jesus said. But not to be stressed out, not to have some pat formula that we think is going to be the perfect answer for every argument that ever comes up. Just trust the Holy Spirit. And, and actually, Michael and I were just talking about this the other day, that there are times where the Holy Spirit gives you nothing. Keep your mouth shut. 
And that's hard. That's hard. Because you want to say something. And sometimes he's just like, just be quiet. Just listen. Don't say a thing. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Whatever he gives you, even if that's silence, man. Awesome. All right, verse 14 goes on. This is the second description of a part of the end times. This is the one that's directed at Israel. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the roof or his, his housetop not go down into his house, nor enter and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not has been since the beginning of creation which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, he chose to shorten those days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, here he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise up and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, I have told you all things beforehand. Again, the second description uh, that Jesus gives here is of the halfway point. So the Great Tribulation is exactly seven years from the day that it starts to the day that the Lord returns and ends it all. And exactly halfway through, three and a half years into it, this event takes place. And this is a significant event for Israel. Um, and this is recorded, as I said earlier, Revelation chapters 12 and 13 are where it talks about this. Um, now, the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist comes on the scene, and everybody's going to love this guy. The church is gone. All believers have been removed. This guy seems to come out of almost nowhere and just has the answers everybody needs. Does things that no one else has been able to accomplish. One of them is to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And because of that, Israel loves this guy and believes he's the Messiah. And then halfway through the tribulation, he goes into the temple and sets up some type of idol. And at that moment, all Israel realizes this guy's a liar. He is not the Messiah. And they will understand that Jesus is the only Messiah. Now, because of that, a war breaks out between the Antichrist with all of his power against Israel. And in Revelation, it's described as a war against Israel like a flood, spewing from the dragon's mouth. It will be the worst persecution ever. Many people will not make it out of Jerusalem. But this is what Jesus is talking about. When that day comes, run. Don't go back for your jacket. Don't go back for money. Don't go back for anything. If you're on top of the house, run. If you're in the field, run. It would be like nothing else. 
Now, those who escape will be protected for the rest of the tribulation. And the Bible seems to point to the stone city of Petra. I don't know why, but it does, and that's where they're going to be, and the Antichrist will be unable to touch them there. But getting there, the vast majority of Israel will be lost. All right, verse 24. It says, but in those days, and after that tri- the tribulation, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. The power of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather them together, and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the furthest parts of earth to the furthest parts of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happen, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word by no means will pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, or at midnight, or the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. The next description, or third and fourth descriptions are here in this last section, where Jesus uh, describes again what these end times are going to look like. And it's a little bit confusing because he uses the word tribulation. And we associate that with the great tribulation. In Matthew, it's a little clearer that Jesus, once again, is backtracking to the beginning, going the false prophets, the false teachers, the false messiahs, and the tribulation or the difficulty of those days after that time, after the lead up to the tribulation. And then he describes the events that we find in Revelation chapter 6. Um, Going through Revelation, again, it wasn't that long ago we, we went through it together, but Revelation is chronological. It, it follows a linear order. Revelation chapter 6 is the actual start point of the Great Tribulation on earth. And so we see these same things. If you remember in chapter 6 uh, of Revelation, it's the breaking of the seven seals. And, and the first five events take place, but we don't really see a direct uh, reaction or, or events happening as a result on earth until we get to the sixth seal and it is broken and all chaos breaks loose. And it's, it's the same description that, you know, the stars falling from heaven, the sun and the moon are darkened, they don't give their light, this massive worldwide earthquake takes place. And at the same moment that all these things happen all at once, Jesus appears in the clouds. Another important thing is that Jesus actually shows up twice in Revelation or in the tribulation. 
the beginning, at the very start, when he whisks away the church, and at the end, where he closes it all out, the Battle of Armageddon. This is the first time. All these things happen, massive worldwide earthquake, Jesus appears, the church is removed, and this great sign of the Son of Man is seen in heaven. Revelation describes it as a terrifying thing that leaves everybody, rich and poor, slave and free, just in absolute shock of what they've seen. Crying out to the rocks that they would fall down upon them and hide them from the Son of Man, from Him who sits on the throne. Jesus in verse 26 here in Matthew 13 says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Again, this also gives us the timing of, of the rapture of the church, which, uh, where we'll, we're all whisked away. In verse 27, it says, And then he will send out his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds of earth and heaven. Right? And he rounds us all up. And again, this is a split-second thing. And this is a day like any other. When this all happens, it is the most normal day ever. Though, yeah, there's false teachers and false prophets and wars and rumors of wars. We're living in that time right now. And it's going to be a day like any other, and suddenly, gone. We're removed. Again, we don't know the day or the hour, but he gives us some great descriptions of what the season looks like. Including this very brief I would call it a parable of the fig tree. Um, we talked about just a few weeks ago the importance of the fig tree in the Old Testament, that it's a picture of Israel, especially when it has to do with Israel's walk with the Lord and, and study of Scripture. Well, include, that includes the prophetic events of Israel, right? And so Jesus says, learn this lesson from the fig tree, that when it puts forth leaves and its branches are tender, you know that summer's coming. So some people read that and go, well, okay, Jesus is really just saying, look, you won't miss it, right? It's obvious. It'll be clear these things are coming. And I think that's part of what he's saying. Um, but I think there's more to it there because Israel is represented by a fig tree very often. And what Jesus is describing is a tree coming through winter into summer. Israel has faced a winter of 1,800 years. Israel was erased from the earth as a nation. And you know, in, in world history, I, and I talk to people all the time, they're like, ah, Israel's not that big a deal. Who cares about Israel? Here's the thing. No nation, no civilization ever in the history of the world has been conquered, dispersed, and ever come back to form a nation again. Ever. Israel's done it twice. And here, at the end of this long winter, Jesus describes not only are they going to come back together, they're going to flourish. They're going to thrive. And that is exactly what we see. Now, again, what, the reason I, one, of the, one of the reasons I don't think this is just saying, oh, it'll be obvious, it'll be clear, um, just like a tree is about ready to start blossoming, is because he says that the generation who sees this will be the generation to see all of this. If he was talking to the disciples, they would have been very disappointed because that generation did not see the return of Christ. 
I believe he's saying the generation to see Israel come back and thrive and flourish, that generation will see his return. That generation will see all of these things take place. That generation is us. Again, he's described this season that we're living in in a lot of different ways. Wars and pestilence and earthquakes and things getting worse and persecution growing. But what are we to do about all of it? I mean, we take all this in, and I think that's the question sometimes we forget to ask when it comes to prophecy. We look at it, oh man, rise of the Antichrist and persecution and these things, and oh, it's, it's so scary. And yeah, we can totally see that happening. The mark of the beast makes sense with all the world's technology and all these things going on right now. But what are we to do about it is the question. Knowing that all of this stuff is true, knowing that all of this is going to happen, what is our job? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what it is in verse 35. Watch, therefore. See, we're not given this information to try and stop it. We're not given this information to deter people from doing these things necessarily because that's what mankind is going to do. Our job is to watch. And I think along with that, back to verse 7, that we are to not be troubled about it. That doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean we're not concerned. We're not worried about those that will be caught up in loss, for sure. We want to understand that our job is to also pray, Jesus says. Watch, therefore, and pray. But we should also be at peace knowing that God is in charge. None of this escapes his eye. He's the one that knows that all of this stuff has to happen. And our job is to watch, to look for his return, look for our master's return. And that we serve a God that declares the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He knows all things. He proves who he is because he understands it all and that he is in control. Our job, as we watch, is to give out the good news. We get to be a part of spreading the good news, the gospel, to every corner of the world, starting with our own house and our own community and this island. We're told also that we are to occupy until he comes. Do your job. Right? I mean, that's the idea of the, the man watching the house, being the one on guard. Do your job. What's he put you in charge of? What, what's your influence? Is it your family? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your job? Man, use that as a place to do your job for the Lord. That we'd be at peace, looking to the sky, waiting for our Lord's return. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.